morning, saints. Morning, morning sinners. Morning. Now, some of you, well, no, no, not some of you. I expect to see all of you next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, be here, be square. All right? We got, it, we got church next Sunday. I know it's Christmas Day, but we're going to be here. I'm going to be here 10 o'clock, not 11, but 10. So I'm looking, I'm watching. All right. All the little windows on our Advent calendars are beginning to show that there are not many more days until Christmas. We find ourselves on this last Sunday of Advent with all four candles of the Advent candle or Advent wreath lit, leaving one solitary white candle in the middle, the Christ candle, to be lit on Christmas Eve. Even our scripture is taking a tack more towards Christmas-sounding texts. You know, we've had texts that pointed to the end of time, you know, the consummation of time, the end of the world, Armageddon, apocalypse. But today, the text turns more towards what we expect at Christmas time. We're talking about the baby. Now, as you turn to Matthew's Gospel, either on your phone or in your Bible, um, I wanted to note that each of the four Gospels that we have describe the birth of Jesus in a different way. They each report the birth of Jesus from a perspective that the others don't share. Mark, for example, doesn't even talk about the birth. Mark just says, begins his gospel with the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then he launches into John the Baptist out in the wilderness, preaching repentance. Then, on the other end of the spectrum, we have John. And John's gospel doesn't talk about Jesus' birth per se, but he does take us back to before the time of creation, before the Big Bang where Jesus, the divine Logos, gave birth to all that is, was, and ever will be. And now Luke's gospel, Luke is the most colorful and flowery of all of them, quite frankly, his birth narrative is most elaborate of all. He spends just about two chapters of his, of his gospel detailing the, the particulars about Jesus' conception and birth and after the fact. It focuses on Mary and Elizabeth. It, it pays more screen time to the women than the other gospels do. Mary, Elizabeth, her cousin, John the Baptist's daddy, Zechariah, he is given a lot of airtime and and. We don't hear much about Jesus' daddy, Joseph. We hear about the shepherds. We hear about their sheep. And I was always wondered who's watching them. They're down in the manger. Where is watching the sheep? And then you've got cows lowing in the distance. And then we have Matthew. Matthew had a good editor. He gets straight to the point. We're picking up with verse 18, um, and Matthew, you will note, says very little 
if anything, about Mary, the mother of Jesus, but builds his story around Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, had planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And Joseph named him Jesus. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Now Matthew's version of things is a little bit more down to earth in some ways uh, of the, with the birth account. Um, perhaps it's even more believable in some of the other birth accounts. Uh, an angel appears to an artisan-class peasant, not in grandiose flashes of splendor and lightning and thunder, but in a, very subtly in a dream. Now, we've all had dreams, haven't we, where we feel that there is a message behind what we dream? I know you have. I have. I can relate to this Joseph story. The announcement comes to this working-class stiff whose very life is immediately thrown into angst and chaos. We get this notion that Joseph's life was rocking along rather normally. It was coasting along pretty well, just like yours, just like mine. He works hard. He has paid Mary's father a dowry in order to secure her marriage when she gets a little bit older. All that's left for Joseph to do is to work hard, save some money, plan for the future with his fiancée. And it sounds so much like the couples I do counseling with getting married. You know, they're planning for their life together. They have a plan. They're working the plan. All that's left to do is where are we going to have the reception and who's going to cater at the party? Everything is just right. But then, as John Lennon reportedly says, life is what happens to you 
when you're making other plans. The lives of a simple carpenter and an unsuspecting teenage girl are thrown into crisis. They're thrown into crisis. Now Joseph, the carpenter, has his fiancée who is going to be an unwed mother of a child that's not even his. No wonder he's afraid. Can you imagine the tremors and rumors that are going on in the community when people find out about this? As as a result of no fault of his own, people of that day would see Joseph. They would say that, you know, Joseph, you had the proverbial bait and switch. You thought you were getting this, and you got this instead. How, How could Mary's dad take the dowry knowing this? You can hear the people in the community, little Mary's pregnant? <gasps> who? Who was that? Who could her father be? Is it Joseph? <gasps> They're not married. You can hear the scuttlebutt. Joseph's not the daddy. Who is? Who has Mary been hanging out with? You know, if word gets out that Mary is pregnant and Joseph isn't the father... Yeah, there's something to be afraid about because Mary could be taken outside the gate of the camp and stoned to death by Mosaic law. No wonder the angel says, no fear. Poor Joseph. Yes, Mary is in a pickle herself as well, but she gets all the attention in the scriptures. And this is Joseph's little few minutes of fame. Joseph, however, as we look at our text, Joseph, we can see, is bearing all the weight of the responsibility to figure out what to do with what he's just learned. Just when his business is taken off, bam, his fiance is pregnant. What does that mean for Joseph's reputation as a God-fearing law-abiding Jew. All this responsibility is thrust on him. And the story, the divine story's continuation depends on what Joseph decides to do. Think about that. The the trajectory of the divine story hinges upon what Joseph does or does not do right now. What does he do? Was his dream the real deal or is it a result of some bad mutton he had several hours earlier? Think about it. Joseph could have said no. He could have ignored the dream. He could publicly humiliate Mary. He could demand his dowry to be returned from her dad. Mary could have been stoned for adultery. Joseph could have called the baby Norman. It all depends what Joseph chose to do. Good old church-going regular Joseph has his life turned upside down 
And he has to weigh carefully the decisions that next need to be made. They are decisions which will impact his family. They are decisions which will impact Mary and her family. They are decisions that will affect their village as well as their synagogue. What is Joseph going to do? Beloved, this is where you and I, well, you and I can pause and learn something from this story. You see, it's in the midst of the storm that Mary and Joseph find themselves in that we learn that God, in the midst of the storm, even before the storm began, God is at work fixing the solution. God is fixing the problem, if we want to even call it a problem. Unbeknownst to Joseph and Mary, God has already been quietly working to set the stage for Jesus to be born. For whatever reason, God has chosen this unlikely family, this unlikely man, this unlikely uh, teenage girl to be the parents of Emmanuel, God with us. You know, life is complicated, and it's complicated for everybody, isn't it? Even for the Holy Family, for Joseph and Mary. Even for the Holy Family, life is messy. Just because they are Holy Family does not exempt them from the hard realities, complexities, and complications of life. We all have those complications, don't we? We have those tough realities, just like Mary and Joseph. And it's right here. It's right here, beloved. We are reminded that just like you and me, Joseph, Joseph had a crucible moment. Joseph had to decide, am I going to step out and express my faith in God? In all that would be risky, unbelievable, scandalous. Do I dare believe the dream? Do I step out and trust God for what God said? Stepping out in blind faith is risky. There are repercussions for Joseph and others if he did not follow the angel's directions. And there are repercussions for Joseph and the others if he follows through with the dreams, directions. Either way, there are consequences. The former would lead to death of a teenage girl and an unborn child. The latter, expressed in faith, would bring life, not only to the Holy Family, but indeed for you and for me as well. Joseph, God's plan for salvation had to pass through a peasant man's spiritual character and faith. God's plan of salvation 
had to pass through a man, Joseph's spiritual character and faith. Mary may have given birth to Jesus, but Joseph, Joseph gave birth to the opportunity that Jesus would even be born in a loving family that taught him the Torah and a family that was not exempt from world's problems. Friends, when, when, when has God spoken to you? When has God spoken to you? What plan of salvation has to pass through your spiritual character in order to find root and growth in the world? Well, preacher, God's uh, never really talked to me. I don't hear little voices in my head. Well, beloved, you don't have to hear voices in your head to hear God. God speaks to us all the time. If we would just listen, like Joseph, if we would listen and respond faithfully to what we hear. You see, God speaks quietly to us through our dreams. God speaks quietly to us through a crisis that we undergo. God will speak to us through an illness we have to endure through a loved one's death. God speaks to us through the words of a song, through the music we hear sung, through the word proclaimed. God speaks to us when we encounter someone who is physically or emotionally broken and we look at them in the face and we feel their pain. God is speaking to us there. Bring hope to this person. God speaks in the face of the homeless, the hungry, begging us, be Jesus to me. The question for us is whether or not we will listen and then step out in faith to respond, thereby opening the door for God's mighty works and miracles to take place. Joseph had to act or the story would have been totally different. In my Advent waiting, I've come to realize you and I are being called to do the same works Emmanuel does. Jesus is born to save people from their sins. Well, brothers and sisters, when we step out in faith like Joseph, we are called to do the same. You and I are called to save people from their sins. Oh, but preacher, that's uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, yeah, yeah, huh? You bet. You see, the words power and sins, or save and sins, these words have been taken over by our culture. They've been diminished in American Christianity. They've become over-spiritualized, over-pietized, to the point we fail to grasp their initial meaning. We have shrunk the meaning of 
um, salvation to my personal going to heaven, getting my ticket punched. We have reduced sin to what I do wrong, or better yet, what you do wrong that I don't agree with. Beloved, Jesus' work is so much bigger than that. Mrs. Richter, she was my high school's English teacher. She said, you know, students, whenever you look a word up in the dictionary, there are several different meanings to that word. And the one that's listed first is the primary meaning. And it, as you go through the list to the last one, well, that's the least common use for that meaning. Well, I went to the dictionary, the Greek dictionary. And I looked up what the word salvation means. You know what the number one definition in the Greek dictionary is for salvation? It means to keep something or someone safe. The second definition is to rescue someone from danger. The third definition is to make someone well, to bring healing. The fourth is to bring wholeness to something. And the very last definition in the Greek dictionary for salvation simply means to be delivered from sin's penalties. What about the word sin? Well, I looked that one up too, and the number one definition for sin in the Greek dictionary is to be without. To have a share in something. It means to miss the mark or goal. It means to miss or wander off the right path. And the fifth definition means to wander from God's law. Brothers and sisters, Jesus can only deal with those last two definitions of sin and salvation. But sin and salvation items one through four, we got that. We can do that. We have the responsibility to bring healing and wholeness to people or systems that are broken or unjust. You and I have the responsibility to uncover ethical injustice in our society where people, businesses, or our government institutions have gone off the mark and are going down the path the wrong way. Joseph Church, Joseph, shows us what God-honoring character looks like. It's listening for the voice of God and then acting upon what we hear to help others get back on the right path, to bring health, to bring wholeness. Over the next few days of Advent, beloved, as we march towards Christmas, church, I want you to join me in listening for God's speaking to you as God spoke to Joseph. How, how is God calling you, calling you, calling me to step out and into the chaos waters of our life, demonstrating faith like Joseph did. 
what plan is God going to work out through your spiritual character in life and mine? That would be a wonderful Christmas present for all of us to discover. And all of God's people said, pray with me. Spirit of love and life, we come today. Thank you. Lord, that you singled out an ordinary guy like Joseph. People just, a guy just like us. That you spoke to him in quiet, subtle ways. And Lord, that you used his character to, to create opportunity for life. Oh Lord, create that for each of us in our own lives, at school, at the business, wherever we find ourselves. For we ask this in Christ's name. And all of God's people say it. Friends, let's stand and sing with joy.